Come gather, come gather, friends, close by the fire, and hear of a wondrous tale. Of goblins and elves and miscoated dells, and heroes who strive to prevail. The herbs of the elves proved a marvellous cure, and Ali awoke feeling spry. After a mushy root breakfast, her body felt steadfast, and she was ready to roam by and by. You're listening to Ali Odds and the Ali Odds Squad by Leona Cara. Chapter 13, Blood Moon Rising. You won't be able to talk with Trenia. We'll see about that. You won't. The Norvenga take Calathea very serious. There will be guards posted to make sure no one bothers her. I've got to try. After a nurturing breakfast with Iktuin, Leif had agreed to show me where Trenia was being held for reflection, or Kalathael, as the elves called it. As they would do for any member of the Nirvanga who had called Hutithaliam, the tribe had presented Trenia with several choices during the conclave, and set a period of reflection in which Trenia would be held in isolation, so she could have ample time to process her options. Leif told me Kalathael was as important as Hutithaliam itself, for the elf's decision would affect the entire community, and the Nervanga wanted to ensure such a decision would be made with due deliberation. You must wait. She is released tomorrow morning. Then you can talk. No, tomorrow is too late. Tonight is my last night in Beleth. I have to talk to her. Now. What is so important to say it cannot wait? <laughs> that I had nearly died in Joe and Graham's hideout? That Grambara was still alive? That I knew where Laurel was? But I said nothing. Those things were for Trenia's ears only. You are behaving very trangith this morning. After a mile or so of wandering through the gargantuan trunks of Beleth, I stopped in my tracks and felt my jaw go slack. There was something huge up ahead. Huge and round and glowing. I reached for Leif's shoulder, and they halted their advance. What is that? Kurkilathael. The glade of thought. Thinking. Reflecting? I don't know how you call it. We moved slowly, and the blurry glow began to take shape. There was a silver-wrought fence encircling a vast, mossy glade. A hill sloped upwards to the right, causing the fence to climb above and around a rocky waterfall that tumbled down into a rollicking creek and sent sparkles into the air. Encasing it all was a diaphanous dome of woven fog that enveloped the fence like an upturned bowl. The dome shifted and glimmered and swirled as Leif and I advanced, and I noticed an elf standing guard where our path met the fence. In their hand they held a spear, as tall and shiny as the silver gate before which they stood. They didn't stir as we approached. Galviath Valtim, none may pass. Atralda, I have told it. Her. Them. Despite the guards' remarks, I stepped forward to look through the intricate spires of the fence. But the guards swept down their spear to block my way. None may pass. I know, I just want to look. I gave the elf my most innocent expression and peered through the silver fence. Dang. It was nice in there. I mean, it was basically a prison, but it was a nice prison, all things considered. There was a fur-covered bed with several pillows and sumptuous blankets, but it was empty. There was a table laden with fruit and meat and ewers and goblets and a chair at which to sit and feast, but it was empty. There was a stone bench carved into a hillock beside the creek where a book laid open and forgotten, the pages splayed out like a bird in flight, but the bench was empty. Where was Trenia? Shooting an obsequious glance at the attending elf, 
I made to walk around the perimeter, doing my best to make it look like a mere detour on an otherwise unremarkable stroll. Leia followed close behind, as if taking it upon themselves to guard me. But no sooner had I curved beyond sight of the first guard, when I saw another one standing watch up ahead. Dang it! How many were there? And where was Trinia? I smiled and waved to the new guard as I passed, and they fixed me with such a scornful glare I almost turned around. But I, I kept on walking, anxious to gain sight of my friend. If I was lucky, Trenia would be somewhere between guards, so I could get in a few words without drawing their attention. Only when I crested the small hill and neared the lip of the waterfall did I find her, lying on her back with her arms and legs stretched out like wheel spokes. I was so excited to see her again that I gasped out loud, despite myself. Her outlander clothes had been replaced by well-fitted robes. Blue robes! Hey! Just like I'd imagined. And she looked for all the world to be asleep. But then she stirred, scratching her arm and tugging at what appeared to be a wedgie. Oh, she was so close! She was right there! But I could see a third guard about thirty paces around the curve of the fence. I grabbed hold of the fence and pressed my face against the bars, hoping she might open her eyes and see me. But besides another tug at her robes, she didn't budge. I turned to Leif, who was poking a colossal pine cone with their toes and whispered for them to draw near. Psst. Hey. We're friends, right? Perhaps by Trangeth definition. Are we friends enough for you to do me a favor? What favor? Would you go talk to that guard for me? Distract them for a minute so I can get Trenia's attention. You will not be able to talk with her. Leif, please. I need to try. Just two minutes. Anything. A... I'll teach you Trangeth swear words. Leif's face lit up at the proposal. Even the worst ones. The worst ones I know. Will you do it? Yes, but she will not hear you. The fence, it's- Sure, right, yeah, yeah, yeah. I said, nudging Leif away and towards the guard. Thank you. No, go. Leif shuffled away and casually struck up conversation with the guard. I had to move quick. These elves were sharp and wouldn't be fooled for long. I stuck my face between the bars of the fence and whispered, Trania. Trenia! But she didn't stir. I picked up a small stick from the ground and tried to throw it at her through the spars. But it rebounded off the glimmering dome. Dang it! Trenia! Trenia, it's me! Trenia! I peeked over to where Leif and the guard were chatting away. They hadn't suspected anything yet. Trenia! Come on! It wasn't working. Maybe Leif had been trying to tell me that the fence itself would keep me and Trenia from talking. Dang it! So I did the only other thing I could think of. I tried to soul send. I knelt beside the fence and closed my eyes. I calmed my breath and focused my thoughts, trying to feel the bounds of my body, my energy, my spirit. I imagined myself as a glowing form kneeling beside the fence, and then I tried to imagine Trenia as a glowing form where she laid in the grass. I had no idea if this is how it was supposed to work, but it was worth a shot. I imagined a glowing body rising away from my visceral form and walking through the fence, stepping over the grass until I stood beside Trenia. And then, well, I took my glow foot and gave her a little glow kick. Her glow body bolted upright, looked up at my glow body in disbelief, and then cautiously approached the fence. I imagined reaching my hand through the silver curls of the fence and pressing it against her palm where she held it up against the dome. And then I opened my eyes. And that's exactly what I saw! She was there! Trenia was kneeling on the other side of the fence, her palm pressed against the dome, her eyes wide with worry as she stared at my broken arm. I gasped aloud, unable to contain my joy at seeing her again. 
and I was surprised to find tears rolling down my cheeks. I missed her. I had really missed her. Trenia! Trenia, I know where Laurel is! Trenia shook her head and pointed to her ears. She couldn't hear me. Her mouth moved in some reply, but I couldn't hear her either. She looked happy to see me, but she also bore a pained expression. It was the same expression my mother had worn when she told me my grandmother had passed away. The expression Bertram had worn when he went to visit the sick and the dying. The expression people wear when they have bad news. She wasn't coming with me. Her fingers flexed against the invisible barrier between our palms, and she pressed her head against the fence. No. No, no, no. Trenia! I know where Laurel is! And Granbauer! Kind of. I need your help! You have to come with me! Trenia! She perked up then. Something had caught her attention, and I turned to see what it was. My voice had alerted the guards. Two of them came over to where I knelt and grabbed me beneath the arms. No! No! It is forbidden to speak to those in Clothael! No! No! Trenia! I know where Laurel is! I know where Laurel is! No! Trenia's face was ashen as she watched the guards drag me away. I saw her lower her head, and then I was dragged out of view. Leif walked behind me, their head bowed in shame. When the elves had dragged me back to the path, they turned to Leif. You will escort this Trangith back to the Lathrian. If she returns whilst Kilathael is still in session, she shall be banished from Bileth at once. The guard looked at me. Understood. Understood. Leif wrapped their arm in mine and urged me down the path. Come, we must go. So go we did. Leif led me back to the Lothruin, as charged. The glass orbs suspended in the canopy glowed faintly, and I took a seat upon one of the root benches jutting out from a pillar tree. Leif stood in front of me, shuffling their bare feet in the dirt, unsure of what to say. My headache had returned, and I just wanted to be alone. Thanks for trying, Leif. You are welcome. She couldn't hear you. No, but... She's not coming with me. I saw it on her face. Oh, this is probably true, yes. There is festival tomorrow night, to celebrate full moon as usual. But special, because tomorrow night it is eclipse. Moon and sun sharing light after many long turns apart. Very special. Very important. It is then Trenia will renew her vows, if she chooses to stay. When moon glows red with kisses from sun. Really? That might explain the red disc I saw in Theron's hand, and the dreams I had as I slept away my fever. Yes, you are surprised. I suppose humans do not pay attention to moon and sun as they should. No, I suppose we don't. Though that seemed like an ideal break in conversation for Leif to scuttle off, they remained by my side, as if waiting for something. Yes? Our deal. Trangith word. What are the worst words you know? Oh, right. Well, there was the usual gambit of body-related profanities to impart, but none of them felt especially bad that day. Curse words are curses. They're meant to hurt, and any word can be weaponized to inflict pain if the tongue is drawn with malice. Even basic words like old or small or slow can pierce like arrows if flung in a certain context. So that day, I told Leif the word that would hurt me the most. The word that was already drawing blood, though it had not yet been spoken. A word I could barely get myself to say. Goodbye. Leif put a hand on my shoulder. Oh, Allie, I am sorry. Truly, I am. But that is not to swear. Fine. Crap. There. Ooh. What does that mean? Poop. Poop. Crap. Crap. Ah, yes. Fun. I like it. Crap. 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 
You're welcome. Leif walked away happily, repeating the word to themselves as they went, and I remained on the root bench for a while longer, unsure of what to do. I still had a chance to change Trenia's mind in the morning, when she was released from Calathael. When she heard that I knew about Laurel, maybe, just maybe, she'd come with me. But that meant I still had a whole day to fill without her. My last day in the magical woods of Beleth. A walk. I would go for a walk, and soak up as much of this magnificent land as I could. I stopped by Iktuin's house to take off Grint's holly green boots, and eat some of the bread Quinn had given me. Then I ventured north, down the path Trenia had shown me to Harrowdelf. It was the only path I felt sure of following without help, so bread in hand, I set out, winding through the tippy-toed trees of Norvenga, past elves weaving baskets, grinding seeds, pressing nuts, harvesting berries, dressing deer, redding Aldoth, spinning yarn, past neighbors lingering on doorsteps to know a dear friend still more dearly, past parents exasperated by their yowling children, yet glowing with the light of them, past stoop-backed elves with whitened eyes, listening to the chirp of sister birds and brother bees swirling, whirling, dancing, past a community of unspeakable depth and love and fear and contradiction and hope and life, a community that would never be mine, a community like all others in that it was its very own. Near the last grove of tippy-toed trees, I saw two elves a ways off, kneeling in the dirt and assembling a bench. They knelt opposite of each other, and pressed at either end of the bench, pressuring the footboards against the seat slab until the pieces were snug. One elf called out with approval, then rose to their feet. When they rose, I saw it was Theron. Instinctually, I froze, hoping he hadn't seen me. But he took no notice. He walked over to where the other elf knelt, and offered them his hand. A gloved hand, I noticed a hand covered so as to hide the glowing marks upon it. With Theron's help, the other elf rose to their feet, and then supported themselves with a wooden cane. Ah, it was Algion, the pale-faced musician who'd sung about the moon and the sun with Iktuin the other night. Theron's bow, as Trinia had told me. Thinking they were in private, I watched as Theron and Algion embraced, pulling the other near until their lips were joined like the boards of their bench. I turned away and pressed on, hoping they wouldn't notice my presence with such distraction as each other. And thankfully, I heard no slurs about my humanity as I went. But before I passed out of sight, I took a quick look back. They were still embraced, locked in each otherness. And seeing it caused a whole slew of feelings to bubble forth. Anger? Because why did someone as mean as Theron get to hold someone like that? Get to have someone love him like that? That didn't seem fair. Happiness, because it's stirring to see two beings so enraptured, even if they are jerks. Sadness, to think that Trenia and Laurel had held each other so, they may never get to again. And jealousy. A fierce, shocking jealousy. Because I'd never been held like that. I'd never had someone kiss, or love, or hold me. Why didn't I get that? Was there something wrong with me? Was I unworthy of love? I walked on. For as to the best place to go with unwanted thoughts... It's easier for them to get lost, which gives you a few minutes to breathe without their weight on your shoulders before they sniff you out and come cantering back. And Beleth of all forests gave an unparalleled space for shooting unwanted thoughts into the mist. So, despite all the fears and feelings I carried that day, I stepped lightly, cresting hills and curving around bends like a fawn, my bare feet caressed by moss and needle-soft soil, my toes growing damp brown and tingling pleasantly with every step. I took a left instead of a right when I got to a familiar fork in the road, curious what laid to the west of the trail, and feeling certain I could find my way back again. 
Before long, the forest had so cleansed my spirit, I would have been hard-pressed to find anything to complain about. The woods were so crisp, so clean, so full of wonder. There were entire civilizations of lichen nestled in tree-bark valleys. Yellow flowers bedded sunlit glades until the earth shimmered like a golden pond. Emerald ravens struck at a scattered horde of Durvandala, which swarmed into the shape of a buzzing blue bear and scattered the ravens away. And there were all manner of mushrooms! Mushrooms five feet high! Mushrooms wide as carriage wheels! Mushrooms so smelly I thought I'd walked into a bog! But my favorite were the little pink ones that I saw growing in circles beside the path. They ranged anywhere from kitten size to dog size, and had patches of light blue spores scattered about their pinky little caps. They were so cute, their little gray stalks all soft and squishy looking. Oh. I poked one gently to feel how squishy the cap was, and I would swear I heard a cute little squeak out. Oh, so cute. If there was any darkness left in my mood, these little guys banished the last of it. It got to a point where almost every 50 feet there was a ring of these little sweeties poking out of the ground on the path. I passed through at least 10 circles of them before I decided I just had to sit down inside one of the rings and get to know them. I plopped down and closed my eyes. I took a deep, grounding breath and tried to feel them where they squatted in their circle. I was still a complete noob with soul sending, so who knows what was really going on, but it felt like I was surrounded by bubbles. Giggly, tickly, mushroomy soap bubbles. I laughed and opened my eyes, thrown out of my meditation by the strength of the sensation. And that's when I noticed. The mushrooms had faces. Tiny little black eyes and teensy curving smiles. Oh, oh my gosh. No way. I leaned down to get a better look. Hello? Can you, can you hear me? You can talk? Well, that's special. Gosh, but you are so cute. And then to my complete shock and surprise, the whole ring of mushrooms rose out of the dirt, up onto the countless tubes shooting out underneath their stalks, and walked towards me. The ring shrank until it was only six feet across, and then the mushrooms all plopped back down into the dirt, burrowing their bottoms into the dark soil like hens taking roost atop their chicks. They were so darned adorable, I had to resist the urge to pick them out of the ground and cuddle them in my arms like kittens. They kept burbling and squeaking, and eventually their little chirps coaxed me to reach out and pat their pinky blue caps. I scooted closer to the teensiest mushroom in the circle and raised my hand slowly, watching for any sign of fear or anxiety in the little fun guy's face, but I couldn't tell one way or the other. So I ventured a gentle pat on its cap. Do you like that? Okay. The other mushrooms uprooted themselves again and shuffled towards me with heart-melting eagerness until I barely had room to move inside the ring. I spun my torso around so that I could give them all little pats on the cap, and soon I was surrounded by a chorus of chirps and burbles. <laughs> the littlest one came even closer and nudged its pinky blue cap against my knee. I placed my hand face up on the soil before it, and to my extreme delight, the little fun guy slimmer slunk slooped its tendrils to crawl into my palm, burbling all the while. It was hands down the most adorable experience in my entire life. Like, I was almost gagging at how insanely cute it all was. I brought the little mushroom up to my face 
and nuzzled the tip of its cap with my nose, causing it to give forth another round of contented chirps. And then I held it out before me, so I could take a close look at exactly what these little dudes were. That's when I noticed that in its teensy smile, there were teensy fangs. Hundreds of them. Teensy, yes, but hundreds! I looked down at the other mushrooms that now seemed uncomfortably close, and saw that their cute little smiles had drawn back into toothy snarls. Their burbles turned to growls, and my body tensed. I looked back at the little guy held in my hand, and watched as his innocent little smile whipped into a fierce scowl. Ah! All at once, the mushrooms pounced. They dove on top of me, pinning me to the ground and biting at me with their teensy little fangs. At first, they overwhelmed me by their sheer number, and were able to pin me to the ground as they tried to pierce my thick woolen jacket with their itty-bitty teeth. My broken ribs and arm prevented me from fighting back as I might have otherwise, and a few of them managed to sink their teeth into my hands, neck, and legs. But fortunately, despite their unconventional qualities, they were still mushrooms. I punched one of them in the cap, and a chunk of rubbery flesh went flying off into the forest, spreading blue spores as it careened out of sight. I managed to shove enough of them off of me to get back on my feet, but boy could those little buggers jump! They clobbered me at every step, and I took to kicking them away when I wasn't fending off an aerial assault. Several of them lost chunks in the fray, and one I accidentally exploded with a solid kick to the stock. But they would not stop coming! They chased me as I ran, snarling and growling like wolves, until I was forced to turn and face them. It would be a fight to the spory death. But then... A glowing elf emerged from behind a tree, and with a wave of his translucent hands, dismissed the remaining mushrooms. They fled at once. Their pinky-blue caps bobbled over the fern and moss like a dozen rolling rocks until they were gone and out of sight. Phew. I turned to thank the elf who had saved me, and saw that he was old. Older than old. So old his silvery beard trailed on the moss five feet behind him, and his eyebrows curved down like a brow stash above his deep blue eyes. He wore a shimmering cloak that looked as if it was woven out of a stream, and I could swear I saw it flowing as he stared at me. But by far, the strangest thing about him was that I could see through him. Hmm. I hadn't been able to see through the other elves, but I could clearly mark the budding bush behind his body. That was cool. Hey, um, thanks for saving me from those things. I thought they were just mushrooms, but... <laughs> um... What's your name? The elf didn't respond. Instead, he offered his shimmering hands, as was custom among the Norvenga. I took them as best as I knew how to take transparent hands, and no sooner had I touched his outline than I was cast into a flowing river. <sighs> I was submerged in cold, crisp water, and I was hurtling downstream. I crashed into a stone and scrambled for a handhold, but the river was too strong, and I was sucked back down into the swirling rush. I couldn't breathe. I couldn't swim. Couldn't yell. I rushed down rapids that bubbled white, 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 so white I couldn't see, and then whoosh! He let go. And I stood shaking and gasping across from the elf, dry as could be. The elf turned away from me and ambled on down the path without saying a word. T what? Hey, hey, where are you going? I followed him. He flowed more than walked rising up and over the winding path with ethereal ease, and for a while I thought he must have been a ghost. But he looked nothing like the ghosts I'd seen in Hamild, who were cold and pale as mist. Eventually the elf led me to the most beautiful glade I had yet seen in Beleth. 
Sunlight trickled down through a gap in the canopy and fell upon a bench-like rock in a clear blue pond, illuminated in dappled specks. I followed the elf into the glade, my bare feet enraptured by the touch of grass, and approached the rock and pond. The rock was gray and smooth and warm. The pond was utterly still, besides a small trickle that flowed out at one end, and gleamed a tranquil blue even the poets couldn't describe. And perhaps it was the elf, perhaps it was my imagination, or perhaps it was the trees themselves. But I heard singing. Oh, 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 oh the treetops, they reach high towards the sky, and open their leaves up wide to receive the nourishing light. Oh, 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 the treetops, they reach high towards the sky And open their leaves up wide to receive the nourishing light Oh, 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 the light it shines bright, the light it shines bright, the light it shines bright Go towards the light, the light it shines bright, the light it shines bright, the light it shines bright Go towards the light The elf stood beside the pond, illuminated, and gave me a solemn bow And then I watched as the elf walked into the water, without stirring so much as a ripple And then... Like a waterfall, his body fell and sank into the pond, which remained perfectly still. I knelt down by the bank, searching for his form in the waters, but in lieu of him, I found myself. My reflection. Whoa. I hadn't seen myself since leaving home. I looked older. Hardier. Bolder. Worn. Weary. Satisfied. I had never thought myself beautiful, what with never having been told I was, but... Staring at my reflection, then, I saw a young woman full of life and hope and pain and wonder. A face full of such things can only be beautiful. I then examined my hands where they'd been bitten by the meanie mushrooms. There were several bites along my left arm, and one deep bite on the pointer finger of my right hand. It was swollen and oozed a faint blue pus. I stared at it for a moment, wondering what I should do. And then all of a sudden, my finger seemed to bend. It curved sharply to the left, though I hadn't touched it. It kept bending, 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 until it had become a spiral. And then, shook, it recoiled back into a normal, straight finger. Huh, I said aloud. That was weird. Sure it was. Never seen anything like it. Yeah, me neither. Wait. I looked over to the rock resting behind me. A rock which was, for all intensive purposes, a normal rock. Did you just talk? Sure did. Oh. Well, that made sense. I looked back towards the pond. And and you? Most certainly. Huh. And... And I'm talking to you. It does seem that way. I've never talked to a rock or a pond before. No? Of course she hasn't, Rock. Of course she hasn't. She's a human. Oh, true, pond, true. Yeah, most humans don't talk to rocks. Or ponds. Exactly. If other humans saw me talking to a rock and pond right now, they'd think I was crazy. <laughs> I kind of think it's crazy. Ah, but what's that on your hands there? Looks like she's had a scrape with the little folk, Rock. So it does, Pond. So it does. The little mushroom guys? Yeah, they attacked me. Well, come and give us your hands and have a wash. Don't want their venom to soak in too deep. Venom? I asked as I washed my hands in the talking pond. Venom, yes. The elves gather it sometimes, don't they, Pond? True, Rock, true. To aid in soul-sending, yes. 
helps them open their minds to things they might miss otherwise. Like talking rocks and ponds. Precisely, friend. That's the stuff. So, I've been poisoned with soul Cindy venom. Well, that would explain why I thought I could hear the forest breathing, and why I could feel the tree roots beneath the soil intertwining and sharing secrets. Is it dangerous? It can't kill them, can it, Rock? I don't think so, Pond, I don't think so. Never heard of an elf dying from the spotted spit. Me neither, Rock, me neither. Well, that's a relief. But but wait, I'm, I'm not an elf. Probably the same for humans, isn't it, Rock? I don't know, Pond, I don't know. Haven't seen a human here since that firehair gal. You've met another human? Sure we have, love, sure we have. Not as many now as we used to, but we've met our fair share of humans over the years. What brings you to our glade today, friend? That transparent elvish guy. Who was he? How did he dissolve into the water like that? That was Intaglia, dear. He's so bound to the stream, but that's not what Rock meant. Oh, I meant why are you here? What makes it so that we're talking to you a young woman with a broken arm and a sling and a deep sadness in her heart? You can see sadness? Just as you can see and hear us. Oh, well, I, I guess I'm here because I didn't know what else to do with myself. Originally, I came to Poleth with my friend Trenia. Trenia? Oh, we know her. Yes, we do, love. Yes, we do. Sweet girl, lovely heart. Shame what happened between her and that other human. The fire-hair gal I mentioned before. Laurel. Yeah, yeah, it is a shame. And that shame seems to be the whole darn reason I'm here. Because all their feelings got smooshed by their families, and now I'm the one running around trying to fix everything. Is it your job to fix it, dearie? I... hmm. I, I don't know. Maybe not. But it just seems wrong to see so much pain and do nothing. Especially because I know where Laurel is. But now Trenia probably won't leave Boleth ever again, so none of it matters anyways. Oh, that is sad. Very sad indeed. Oh, I remember when those two would come and sit right here upon me. In love those two were, sharing kisses and secrets like there was no tomorrow. Reminded me of us, Rock. Reminded me of us too, Pond. Had their first kiss here, didn't they, Rock? So they did, Pond. So they did. And where they promised to so bond. That's right, Rock. Yes, that's right. And where they broke it off, then, isn't that true? Very true, Pond. Very true. A clean cut. A promise to stand by their families, brave and solid. Move on and forget. But they couldn't love, no, they couldn't. Can't break spirits who love each other, like you and I, Pond. Like you and I. Can't stand brave and solid and forget about that. We could feel their pain from here, couldn't we, Rock? All the trees could feel it too. That they did, Pond, that they did. Pain like that can't be ignored. And so she came, Rock, you remember? I remember, Pond, I remember. The fire-hair human came with a letter in a ring. And she sat upon you, Rock, now didn't she? Where she was used to sit with her loved one, their hands entwined. Aye, and she sits and she sits, waiting for her love to come find her in the woods. But she doesn't come, love. She doesn't come. No, but someone came, Rock. Someone came. Her brother did. The elf man with his pointy bow. Leave, he says, doesn't he? Leave, he says, indeed, Pond. Tells the firehair his sister will not see her. Tells the firehair to go away. But firehair tells him she has a letter. That she's moving away and wants her love to come with her. That they'll move away and stay away and get to be together. 
and the brother holds out his hand pond and says he'll deliver it for her. Humans cannot pass into the woods, he says, but he'll get the letter to his sister. So she hands it over, hoping to see her love in the morning. Ah, but the brother didn't like her now, did she, Rock? Didn't like that his sister was with a human? No, Pond, no. And he sees a way to end his troubles now, for good and for all. And so he takes the letter, Rock, and the ring, and what does he do but bury them? Tore the letters to shreds, yes, Pond, and buried it. And the elf doesn't know. True, Rock, true. Thinks her love left without a word. So sad, that. So hard. As Rock and Pond unfurled their tale, I saw the whole scene playing out in Pond's crystalline waters, as if I was gazing into a mirror of the past. I saw Laurel sitting on the rock with a letter in her hands, fiddling with a decorative iron ring. I saw Theron coming up behind her and stretching out his hand. I saw Laurel's pleading face as she turned away, having entrusted him with her very heart. And then I saw Theron's smug smile as he tore the letter and buried it in the dirt. Oh my gosh! You guys, this could change everything! What do you mean, friend? Laurel didn't leave without saying goodbye! Laurel wants to be with Trenia too! She has to know! I have to tell her! Well, then she'll have to come with me! Is that right? Yeah! Well, where did Theron bury the letter? The ring? Now let's see. He carried them off now, didn't he, Bond? That he did, Rock, that he did. Off and away where his sister wouldn't stumble upon them. Ah, they're not here. He took them away from the glade. Aye, somewhere to the west, wasn't it, Pond? Out by the old mines now, weren't it? That's the place, Rock, that's the place. Buried the ring and the scraps of paper by the old alder there, and set a stone upon them. Don't think nothing's been by there since, besides some squirrels. Are you positive? I know Trenia will want proof. Sure as rain, friend, sure as rain. But, but, wait, how? How could you possibly know where he buried them? You're a rock. I mean, no offense. None taken. Press your hand to the earth there, friend. Yes, yes, press your hands in the soil and close your eyes. Do you see the roots? See the roots? How could I see the roots with my eyes closed? Oh my gosh! Roots! And and bugs! And worms! And, 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 and... Sure enough, I could see beneath the ground. And above it, it was like the world had transformed into a glowing shadow of itself, where the once brown trees now radiated a thousand different colors, and rock and pond were as alive as any human both glowing the same hue of cloudy blue. Whoa! Are you seeing the forest, then? Yes, but... but how? Don't mind the how for now, dear. Just the what. Follow us. Somehow, the world shifted under my feet, as if I was flying on the wings of a raven. The forest raced by in a blur, and I was taken to a path that led away from the main trail to Harrowdelf, and out to the east. The blurring flight continued for another blink of the eye, and then all of a sudden... The world stopped moving, and I found myself before a sloping hole in the earth that led to a darkened tunnel. The mines? Mines for what? Rotted timbers obscured much of the doorway, and though I could see beyond the darkness with this strange glowy sight I had been given, I was still scared to think of what may be lurking within. Without any effort on my part, my sight suddenly shifted, and I saw a kettle-sized stone resting unassumingly beside an alder. There you are, lovey. That's where you'll find that ring. And what's left of the letter? I tried to walk towards it, but found myself unable to move, and then, as quickly as it had begun, the world shifted once again, and I rushed backwards through the glowing forest, 
until I snapped back into myself, the force of which startled me so thoroughly that I fell onto my back, gasping for breath between rock and pond. The world looked normal again, and I slowly rose to my feet, poking and prodding my body to make sure nothing had been left behind in what had to have been the spirit realm. I looked down at Rock and Pond, who looked like nothing more than what their names entailed, and I smiled. Thank you so much. This changes everything. You're most welcome, Ally. Of course. I've got to go tell Trinia. Goodbye. I put my arm back in its sling and ran off. As I ran, I heard Pond and Rock say, Oh, I do hope those two get back together, Rock. Me too, Pond. Me too. I love you, Rock. I love you too, Pond. I love you too. I raced through the forest as fast as my injuries would allow. But that didn't last for long. My head hurt for one thing. That knock back at Joe and Graham's lair wasn't quite done reminding me of my folly. And my ribs were screaming. So I walked back towards what I hoped was Nervanga Central. From there, I planned to find the trail Leia had followed to take us to the Kurkilathio, so I could try to soul-send with Trenia again. If the mushroom venom was still in effect, I could probably reach her from so far away the guards wouldn't even know. But the closer I drew to the tippy-toed trees and the Lothroin, the more and more weary I felt. The forest lost some of its vibrato, and by the time I reached Iktuin's house, I felt spent. My brain felt like it had run a hundred miles, and done sit-ups. Had I actually just talked with a rock in a pond? Did that really happen? Plus, I remembered the guard's threat to banish me from Beleth if I was caught lurking around the Kurikalathiel again. I really wanted to tell Trinia what I'd learned from Rock and Pond, but it wasn't worth the risk to venture close right now. She would be released in the morning. I had to wait. Which was hard! Like waiting for presents before solstice, or waiting for Dad's cart to come back when he went on market trips. I wanted it now! I amused myself with Galena the Great for a while which I was able to read with a minimal headache, and then I went to the Lothroin for dinner. I was relieved when Iktuin brought me over to sit with her and Leif in the grass. Leif's father, Sindon, sat there with them, and another elf, Fulion, who was about Trenia's age from the looks of it. My company asked little of me, but they were kind and respectful. When they asked of my homelands, they used the word human instead of Trangith, and they tried as much as possible to speak in the human tongue. It was the most welcome I'd felt in Beleth and it did much to ease the bitterness of Corothel's still scalding stares. She and Theron sat with Moranga, Algion, and several other elves on the other side of the Lothruin, and made it a point to, every so often, laugh loudly at someone's joke and then stare in my direction. But now when they stared at me, heat in their eyes, I stared right back, my inner fire burning brighter than they could ever know, especially at Theron. Now that I knew what he'd done, I almost wished I had let the fire take over the night before. It would be satisfying to see some broken teeth behind his sleazy smile. After dinner, Iktuin and Leif walked me back to their tippy-toe tree. When I turned to head for the small clearing beside their house, they shook their heads and told me to come inside. They set me in the same bed as they had the night before, gave me more earthy spiced tea, and I somehow managed to drift off to sleep without so much as a yawn. When I awoke the next morning, I bolted out of bed so fast I startled Leif awake. Trenia! I had to find Trenia! I pulled on my clothes, stuffed the last of Quinn's bread in my gob, and rushed out the door, heading for the Lothro Inn. Elves were already busy decorating the boughs for the evening's festival, and piling wood beside a massive fire pit outside the northern edge. But Trenia wasn't there. I asked an elf hanging up wreaths of sweet grass if they knew where she was, but once I saw who was asking, a trangeth, they snubbed their nose at me and carried on without a word. I asked a different elf, one who was raking leaves and twigs out of the grass and they were kind enough to not only talk to a human, 
but to point me in the direction of Trenia's home, which was to the southeast of the Lothro Inn. So, to the southeast I went. But I had no sight nor sound of my friend amidst the numerous houses, nor any idea which one might belong to her family. It certainly wasn't a good idea for me to go around knocking on doors in these parts, so I found a bench outside one of the houses and sat down, waiting until the answer made itself clear. This ended up being a long, long time, which heightened my anxiety to an almost intolerable level. I sat there for an hour at least, which felt like twenty considering the tempest of information I wished to convey to Trenia. But yes, eventually, I saw her. She walked towards me from the direction of the Lothro Inn, still wearing her blue robes from the Kurkulathale, and she was accompanied by the most imposing posse imaginable. Corathel, Maranga, Algion, and Theron. None of whom would approve of me sharing a single word with Trenia. But I had to try. I rose from my bench and walked towards them. Corathel was the first to see me, and she quickly stepped in front of Trenia, as if protecting her daughter from a charging boar. The rest of the group looked up and saw me then, and all at once they paused. What do you want, Trangith? My daughter is not to be bothered before her vow-making. Right. Hey, Trenia, we need to talk. Trenia's father, Moranga, stepped forward then. The only talking my daughter has need for is that in Norvengen, practicing her vows. Trenia, we need to talk. Trenia met my gaze for a moment, but then dropped her head and stared at her feet. Trenia. Oh, poor Trangith. No one told you. My sister has decided to renew her kin rights tonight. Beneath the red moon, even. What wonderful timing. Yeah, I know. Trenia, I still need to talk to you. Moranga and Algion guided Trenia forward, towards a tippy-toe tree with a bright red door. But Trenia pushed against them and walked towards me. Trenia! Ilanalrinpa. It's a small thing to ask. To share a word? Even you must grant that. Trenia stopped a few feet away from me. It was back. The ice. The armor she'd worn when I met her at the stinky boot. Before we became friends. Before she'd open up and let all that armor melt away. It brought tears to my eyes to see her so encased. And it took all my strength to resist the urge to pull her into a hug so I could melt it all away again. But no. Not with her family watching. No. Nor could I say what I needed to say. C can we talk somewhere private? No, you may not. Corathel. Trenia gestured to my arm. What happened? Joe and Graham. It's a long story. What? You said you wouldn't take them on by yourself. I didn't. Trenia, we need to talk. You are talking. Out with it or save it. We have matters to attend to. Dang it, how good was Theron's hearing? I brought my voice to a whisper. Trenia, I know where Laurel is. I saw a flash of emotion sweep across Trenia's face. She clenched her jaw and looked away. I thank you for your efforts on my behalf. But it's time to move on. I'm ready to return to my tribe. No, no, Trenia, that's not all. I have proof that... I cut myself off, noticing how intensely Theron was staring at me. I couldn't imagine how he could hear me, but if he found out I knew what he had done to Laurel's letter... I shuddered and stepped closer to Trenia. There's something I need to show you. Now! Something that may make you change your mind. Ali, I will miss you too. Truly. You've been an excellent friend, and I wish it were some other way. But I choose my tribe. My home. These woods. I understand that. But please, if you know me to be your friend, then you must trust me now. 
regardless of your decision, you need to know everything. Trinia met my gaze again, and we fell into our usual elven stare-downy thing, which I was unwilling to accept as the last such interaction we would have. In it, I conveyed all the urgency, all the sincerity, all the severity I could. And she seemed to feel it. What is it? If you can get away from them, I'll show you. Enough, Trenia. That's more than a word by my count. We must get you ready. Corathel approached her daughter and wrapped a hand around her arm. Wait, please. Come, daughter. This Trangith knows how to find her way out to Beleth, I take it? If she does not, I will gladly guide her myself. Corathel began to pull Trenia away, but Trenia's eyes stayed fixed on mine. I called out to her. I'll be at Ictuins. Trenia gave such an imperceptible nod that I felt sure no one else had seen it. Oh, my sister felt bad enough to take you in, did she? Always had a weak heart. If weakness means compassion, then yes. Something you would do well to study. What did you say? Corathel turned and stalked towards me, her hand raised as if to slap me across the face. But Trenia held her back with ease. Mother! She is our guest. And while she is, you will treat her as such. I do not understand your liking for them. Ah, no matter, my love. It will be done with soon enough. With one last look from Trenia, and one last sneer from Theron, the family disappeared into the house with the red door. <sighs> well, that went as well as it could have, all things considered. I shook out the nervous tension that had built up in my body, and headed back to Eek Twins. There, I packed up my belongings and waited outside in the clearing for Trenia. I had no idea how long it would take for her to come, but I expected it would be a while. Laif was kind enough to keep me company for a time, and I taught them real swear words to honor my end of our deal. I was glad for the distraction, and Laif even managed to get me to laugh a few times, tightly wound as I was. But eventually they were called away to help with the festivities, and I was once again left to myself. I quickly wore a path in the moss, pacing back and forth, and I managed to read another chapter of Galena the Great before my head hurt too bad. But hours passed without sight of Trenia. Hours. What if she didn't come? What if Theron or Corathil weaseled their way into her mind, or were keeping too close a watch for her to break away? The sun began to droop low in the sky, and still she hadn't come. Which meant, by my understanding, my last day in Beleth was spent, and by rule, I had to leave. I didn't know what the elves would do if I trespassed on their rules, and I was scared to find out. What if the markings on my forehead could kill me if I wasn't beyond the border by the time the full moon rose? Oh gosh! Oh my goodness! Trenia! Where are you, Trenia? And then the sun truly started to go down. I had to leave immediately if I wanted to be clear of the woods by nightfall. She wasn't coming. Trenia, my friend, hadn't come. So I shouldered my pack. I took one last look at the tippy-toed trees of the Nirvanga, and I stepped out into the woods by myself, tears running freely down my cheeks. But I hadn't gone far when I heard, Wait! Ali! I turned back. I saw an elf step into the clearing. Their hair was pulled back into an elegant series of braids, and they wore a deep red cloak atop a long, decorative tunic. At first I couldn't believe that it was Trenia. The elf appeared so different from the rough-and-tumble warrior I'd come to know. But then I saw the flash of her sword jutting out from behind the cloak, the interlaced leaves on its hilt glimmering in the twilight, and I knew it was really her. I rushed forward and hugged her with all my might, and my heart glowed when I felt her hugging back. The ice had abated, for now. Trinia pulled back and looked me deep in the eyes, her face deathly serious. 
We don't have long. I told them I was walking you out of the woods, but only so far as the fork. Do not hope to change my mind, but show me what you will. Okay, follow me. I led her north on the path towards Harrowdelf, as quick as I could, telling her about the disaster that was Joe and Graham's hideout, about the evidence that supported the idea Granbower was still alive and well, and about what I'd learned from Quinn concerning Laurel. I didn't tell her everything Quinn told me. His story wasn't mine to tell. But I did share what related to Trenia directly, and how we now knew Laurel was in Haventown. I admit, I was shocked when Trenia didn't immediately abandon her plan to stay in Beleth to come with me. She absorbed the information like a plant drinks water, slow and silent, with nothing immediate to show for what's been taken in. So I prodded her. You don't want to find her? No. That chapter in my life is closed. She made her choice to leave and move on. Now it's time for me to do the same. Uh, I was going to wait until I could show you, but I have to tell you now. Trinia, Laurel didn't want to leave you. This will sound crazy, but I had a conversation with a rock and a pond yesterday, and they told me about a letter and a ring that Laurel brought for you just before she moved. She wanted you to come with her. She didn't want to leave you, Trenia. This information had a more immediate effect. Trenia stopped in her tracks as if she had run into a wall. What? Laurel wanted to be with you, Trenia. She never stopped loving you. These words nearly put Trenia into a stupor. I'm sorry, you're telling me you heard this from a rock? And a pond? It's a long story. I, I got bit by those mean little mushroom guys with pink caps and blue spots yesterday and, and had quite the adventure. Come on, I'll show you. Oh no. Trenia stopped again. She sighed and buried her face in her hands. What? What is it? You had a hallucination. No! No, no. It happened. I swear it. Come on. We were nearly at the fork in the path, so I grabbed Trenia's arm and tried to pull her along. But she was way too strong. Trenia! Ali, people see all sorts of things when they're on the spotted spit. None of it was real. Yes, it was. At least I hoped it was. Now that I was saying it all out loud, it did sound rather crazy. I appreciate you trying to help. But please, don't make this any harder than it has to be. Trenia stood before the fork and gave me a horridly sympathetic smile. No, 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 Trenia, I, I promise. I can prove it. I think it's time to say goodbye. She faced me as if to share a final obligatory hug, her face steeled against emotion and her ice armor back in full. No, 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 if none of it was real, then, well, then how come I know that the glade where I met Rock and Pond was where you two first kissed? Shock froze Trenia's face. And how come I know that's where you promised a soul bond? Trenia's expression became incredulous. And how come I know that's where you two broke it off? How the last time you ever saw her was beside that rock and pond? Trenia could not deny the truth of these statements. And slowly came around to the wondrous possibility that I might not be insane. This letter you spoke of. This ring. Where are they if I do not receive them? I'll explain as we go. I rushed off into the woods in the direction I'd been shown by Rock and Pond and the Spirit Realm, and Trenia followed without contestation. I ran as fast as my body would allow, explaining all the while. Theron found Laurel when she came to give you the letter. He promised to bring it to you, but he didn't. He tore it to pieces and buried it by the old mine, along with the ring. I don't know exactly how they did it, but Rock and Pond showed me where it is. They'll be there, Trenia. I promise. I gritted my teeth and pushed through the pain that jolted my body with every step. Trenia ran beside me, focused and serious, a fire burning hot behind her eyes. Before long, we reached the ominous doorway to the mines. There! There they are! 
beneath that rock by the alder tree. With this direction, Trenia dashed forward and left me in her dust. She shoved the rock aside and stared at the ground in confusion. When I reached her, huffing and puffing, I asked, What? It's there, isn't it? No. What? No, no, it has to be. But then I noticed that the dirt beneath the rock looked recently disturbed. Trinia hadn't even begun to dig, for the hole had already been dug. Footprints. There. I followed her gaze, and was just barely able to make out the heel of a boot pressed into the dirt. Trinia rose and scanned the forest. I joined her in searching, but saw nobody moving through the trunks. She ran around the area, checking behind trees large enough to conceal a dozen people. And then, remembering my little run-in with Theron the other day, I thought to look up. Trinia. What? Do you see them? Up there. I pointed to a nearby tree, where Theron was clinging to the bark some forty yards above us. That poop head. Come down, Theron. Oh! Trenia, odd seeing you here, what with a party being thrown in your honor at this very moment. Get down now. It's a rather nice view up here. Why don't you join me? Fine, I shall. But no, it means he'll be throwing you down. Trinia walked towards the tree, and in all seriousness, began to climb up towards her brother. Ah, no, no, dear sister. Don't bother. I've had a change of heart. Trinia backed away from the tree, and quicker than a squirrel, Theron climbed down the trunk and once again jumped the last several yards to land before us, his black arrows rattling in his hip quiver to dramatic effect. I could see he still wore a black leather glove on his right hand, hiding the marks that shone brightly front and back. He unslung his bow from around his shoulders and kept his distance. Explain yourself at once. Me? Dear sister, I am not the one who requires explanation. I was merely ensuring the strength left our borders, as is my duty, and good thing I followed you. You said you would escort this human to the fork, and no further, and yet here you are. The tribe would be remiss to hear of such deviance so shortly after your repentance. Gosh, she was a slippery little slug. My inner fire roared back to life, and I really wanted to punch him in the face, even if it affirmed the insult of humans being hot-blooded Trangeth. But Trenia kept her composure. What's in your hand? Theron nodded to the bow he held in his left hand. You can't be serious. Or has the Trangeth stupidity worn off on you? The other hand. Open it. Theron pursed his lips and did not budge. Open it. Slowly. Theron unfolded his gloved fingers and revealed that in his palm was nothing. What? His pockets. Trenia, his pockets. Empty them. Trenia, this is ridiculous. Empty them. So you can find what? You know darned well what, I said. You want me to search your pockets for you? Be silent, Trangeth, and mind your place. Trenia, if you return to the tribe at once, I will not inform them of this transgression. I will ensure the Trangeth leaves Belef, and the festivities need not be disturbed. No! You lied to her! You lied about Laurel and... and everything! If you speak once more, Trangeth, I swear I will... Empty your pockets, Theron. Now! Fine. Trenia watched unblinkingly as Theron brought his hand to the pocket of his trousers and withdrew something small and shiny. He threw it in the dirt before Trenia's feet, and several pieces of soiled paper flitted through the air to rest beside it. There, a last little token of your red-headed friend. The last splinter I tried to prevent from entering your already bleeding heart. Trenia bent down and picked up the ring. She stared at it in her palm for a long moment. I stepped closer to her. See? I told you! Laurel never meant to leave without you. 
Chernia's focus on the ring was broken by several loud claps. Theron was applauding, and though the forest was growing dark, I could make out the mocking sneer on his face. Well done, Trangith. You solved the puzzle. You may leave Beleth with your head held high, knowing you've reopened the very wounds you set out to heal. Come, Trenia. The tribe awaits. <laughs> She's not going with you. She has pledged herself to the tribe. A mere ring does not change that. Yeah, it does. I looked at Trenia, her expression absolutely stricken. Doesn't it? Trenia could not reply. She stood frozen, staring at the ring. Come, little sister. It's growing dark. We must make haste. Theron began to walk back towards the path, but stopped when Trenia spoke. No. What? You liar. You foul, blooded, ranky git! Theron's eyes twitched, and his mouth quivered with anger. Trenia, stop this. You will not throw your entire life away over some fond remembrance. Say goodbye to this human. The tribe is waiting. I reached out to touch Trenia's arm. Come with me. We'll find Laurel together. And Granbauer. Like we promised. Trenia put her hand on mine and nodded. Why must you always make things so difficult? Theron's hand dropped to his side, and he drew forth an arrow from his quiver. He knocked it with ease and drew back the string, aiming straight at me. If you take one step away from this clearing with that Trangith, I will put an arrow in her back. What? Trinia drew her sword. You shall do no such thing. I hope not. If the human walks away of her own volition, and you and I return to the Lathro Inn, no one shall be harmed. That does make things simple, now doesn't it? Trinia slipped Laurel's ring on her finger, stepped in front of me, and strode slowly towards Theron. The tip of her sword pointed straight at him. You will not harm her. Will you come with me to the tribe? No. Will you lower your sword? No. Then I will do what I must. Faster than I could blink, Theron sidestepped to get a clear shot at me and loosed his arrow. I didn't have time to think. But Trenia did. She dove in front of the arrow, and it buried itself below her left shoulder. I watched in horror as she fell to her knees. I wanted to run to her, to help her, to save her. But I was petrified. My, my feet, they wouldn't move. I could barely breathe. No, no, dear sister. That shot was not meant for you. As Theron drew another arrow from his quiver, Trenia rose from her knees and rushed towards him like a blast of fire surging forth from a bellows. He knocked his arrow and drew back the string. But before he could loose, Trenia let out a cry more fearsome than any dragon's roar and plunged her blade deep into Theron's chest. His arrow loosed harmlessly into the ground. The bow fell from his hand. Trenia withdrew her blade from Theron's flesh, and watched as he stumbled backwards, his hands fumbling for the gash in his tunic, which quickly grew slick with blood. Theron peered up at his sister in disbelief. Trenia. He collapsed into her, gripping her cloak and trying to stay upright. But Trenia did not aid him. He fell writhing to the ground, his breath heaving in ragged bursts, and for a long moment, Trenia stood impassive beside him gazing at the iron ring she now bore on her middle finger. With a cough of blood, Theron called out, Trenia! He waved a finger for her to draw near. Trenia hesitated. Despite the black arrow projecting from her chest and her brother's blood soaking into the forest floor, she seemed withdrawn and unfazed by the whole experience. 
Eventually, she knelt down beside him, and as if noticing his condition for the first time, I saw her face wrinkle with emotion. Theron smiled then. A smile I will never forget. A smile of hate and fury and regret and violence and cruelty. Oh, the cruelty. A smile I will never forget. And then, with a surge of frantic energy, Theron tore off the blood-coated glove from his right hand, and a bright light shone out in the gathering dark. He placed his trembling palm on Trenia's chest and whispered, Kinslayer, fal uth galath utgayor kuyeth. As soon as the words left his mouth, the spot he was touching on Trenia's chest began to glow a bright white beneath her tunic. She backed away in alarm, and Theron's hand fell into the dirt. Lifeless. The glowing marks fading. Fading. Gone. Theron's poisonous tongue had finally stilled. Slowly, Trinia rose. She cleaned her sword with her cloak and slid it back into its sheath. The glowing mark on her chest still beamed out like a lantern in her chest, and she tried unsuccessfully to cover it with her cloak. And all this with an arrow sticking out of her chest! She looked up at me when I drew near, and I could see tears falling silent down her cheeks. I looked behind her at Theron's body, then back into her deep brown eyes, too shocked to say anything. We have to leave. We? Yes. Now. Trinia grabbed my hand and pulled me back towards the trail. But I held her back and pointed at the arrow in her chest. Shouldn't we pull that out? Not until I can deal with it properly. Did it go through? Trinia turned around so I could feel her back. She winced at my touch, and my hand recoiled when I felt the distinct point of an arrow poking out beneath her cloak. Yes, ugh, yes, there it is. Good. Trinia gripped the shaft with both hands where it projected from her chest, and with an agonized grunt, snapped off a good length of it. Ah! <sighs> now run. But, but Theron, your tribe! I have no tribe. Come, we must run. And so we did. We ran. Like the tree shadows stretching in the light of the rising moon. We ran. Like the calls of evening birds that carried beneath the boughs. We ran. As we passed beyond the borders of Beleth, and the glowing marks on my brow shone one last time. We ran. As the eclipse began, and the moon grew bloody overhead. Thanks for listening to Alley Odds and the Alley Odd Squad. I'm Leona Cara, and gosh darn it, we've reached that dreaded point again for those of you who are listening to the show as it comes out. That point where the story needs more time to grow and ripen so that it can bring sweet, sweet goodies to you down the road. The good news is, there's only one more episode to finish before the end of season one. And one episode is much easier to write and release than six. So hopefully, I'll be sharing the season finale with you very soon. But before I say goodbye, there are, of course, people to thank. Today I want to thank my dear friend Yin Dwyer, lover of trees and the healing magic of song. Rock and Pond sang her song, Oh the Treetops, in this episode, a song I have been aching to find a story for ever since Yin brought it to Wild Choir almost two years ago. And, to make things even better, do you remember the moon song that Allie sang when she was stumbling away from Joe and Graham's lair? Well, that song was offered by Jesse from the musical group Earth Practice. And guess who else is in Earth Practice? Uh, no, not Granbauer, sillies. Yin! So if you have enjoyed the music of Alley Odds, visit their website at patreon.com forward slash earthpractice and let their medicinal music play on. If you find yourself hankering for some more Alley Odds before the next episode is released, check out my Patreon, patreon.com forward slash Odds, or follow Leona Cara on Instagram. Who knows what Alley Odds wonders you might find. 
Well, friends, I love you. It has been an honor to share these episodes with you, and I hope to see you around the fire for the season finale.